Hello and welcome in. Thank you so much for listening today. This is the podcast Builder versus Buyer. My goal here is pretty simple. Get builders and buyers to meet in the middle at the table, figure out what the other side is doing and thinking so that hopefully your next build, whether you're a builder or a buyer, can be a little bit better. Very exciting news. Steve Bazek joined me for today's episode. So for those of you that don't know Steve, um, he's an architect, nationally recognized. Um, he's designed and developed custom residential structures for over 26 years, work routinely found in numerous local and national media outlets. He's designed hundreds of projects across the spectrum of energy performance, comfort, and durability to include many of the nation's top energy-conscious homes. In addition to his design work, he routinely provides detail and content for use in publications, books, webinars, associated educational formats, most notable for being the author of over a thousand details for Green Building Advisor. He can also be found at various conferences around the country, talking and sharing his knowledge on the bridge of architecture and sound building science. Seriously, a great guy, great interview. Let's get right to it. Steven, thanks so much for being here. I appreciate you uh, spending some time with me today. Yeah, no, thank you for having me. Greatly appreciate the opportunity. Thank you. Um, so for those of the people that don't know you, who are you and what do you do? So my name is Steve Bazek. I'm a registered architect. I live about 10 miles north of Boston, so I'm up here in New England. I do a lot of work uh, regionally here obviously. Um, but I also do a lot of work around the country. So I'll do custom homes anywhere. I specialize in low energy, high durable um, residences that, you know, a lot of people come to me because they believe they're building their dream house and they want it to be around a long time. They don't want it to cost a lot of money to operate and uh, they want to put together so it's not rotting away or failing in a handful of years like a lot of buildings are around the country. Yeah. Yeah. That's, um, that's great. And then I, you are one of the more forward voices out there. I, I would say nationally, as far as, um, high efficiency homes design, you've got a ton of great content out on, um, yeah, all that stuff, what it looks like to, to build the right home, the right details. Um, so what I, my primary goal today is I, I don't think we need to delve into if people want to search more about designing great homes, like it's, it's pretty easy to Google you and figure that yeah. out. Yeah. Um, sure. But what I, what I find in, in my industry is uh, my industry, our industry, um, but my section of the industry. So I'm usually designing for homes that end up between four and 800,000. And, and what happens with most of these, whether I'm talking to the builder or talking to the client, if anything, you know, energy efficiency is pitched or, or high performance. Um, it's usually shot down with my clients don't need it, don't want it, can't afford it. Um, so first off, what, what are your thoughts on that? Um, as, as a, a general attitude, um, yeah. then, what, then I'd like to get into some more specific. No, I got a whole dissertation on this one question. <laughs> So, yeah. cause, cause I get asked it a lot and, and, uh, you know, I, I had worked at building science corporation for almost 10 years. So I'm sure you're familiar with Joe Stebrick and Betsy Pettit. Um, but I, I was one of their first employees and worked there before going out on my own. So 
a lot of our work there was building investigations. So we saw buildings fail in every which way they can fail. And, and I'm talking non-structural failures, um, you know, water management issues, durability issues, high humidity, mold, all those, those types of failures. But, but anyways, here's, here's the reality of my situation. Even though I could sit here and read off a litany of, you know, 60 lead platinum houses, a couple dozen passive houses, extremely energy efficient homes, I never sell energy efficiency because people won't buy it, right? I sell durability, health, and comfort because those are values that everybody can recognize, whether you're building a multi-million dollar home or a $300,000, you know, tiny house, smaller thousand square foot home. Um, everybody wants those things, right? They, they want the yeah. house going to last a long time. They don't want to have problems. They don't want to have mold issues. They don't want to have air quality issues. Um, and they want it to be extremely comfortable. But here's the kicker. And this is where life is really good. If I solve for high durability, high health, and high comfort, I get energy efficiency in the back door. Mm, so people yeah. are forced to buy it based on other decisions. I just don't sell energy efficiency. It's kind of like, you know, you're, you're selling a Ferrari for its performance. And oh, by the way, you get that really cool sound system in there just because it comes for the ride. Right. Yeah. So bring energy yeah. efficiency along for the ride. If you go out there and try and sell it, people won't buy it because you're right. If, if someone's building a 6,000 square foot house and you, you can sit there and say, well, I can cut your energy bill in half a month. Those people probably don't care about the extra $300 a month. Um, yeah. You know, when it comes, when it comes right down to it, they they don't, I mean, some, some might, some might say they do, but the reality is, is that if you're building that 6,000 square foot, multi-million dollar house, energy efficiency probably isn't there. But if I can talk to them about building that seacoast house and being able to stand in front of those win windows in a winter storm in New England and be extremely comfortable because I've elevated the surface temperature of the interior glass, then now they're starting to understand there's some value in putting in a better window that's beyond the energy efficiency. It's that I'm not going to get that cold draft or my friends won't when they're sitting on a couch in my house. So, man, isn't that cool that I just built this multi-million dollar house and everybody's super comfortable inside. Yeah. I, I love that. Um, so yeah, let's dip in. I think a, like you said, a, a well-designed home can be built at any price range, but I, I think one thing holding builders back a little bit is, um, okay. You talk about like performance and durability. They, they're going to say to me, listen, I've been building homes for X number of years and I'm fine with the way I do it because I know I don't get callbacks. It might just be minimum code. I got Tyvek on the wall. It's a two by four. Like, but I know that that system works and I'm not going to get any callbacks on it. Um, what, what would you say to that? How do you, how do you elevate the, the conversation? Well, there's, there's a, there's a couple things at play there. One, you know, you're, you're not at risk yet. And my, my guess is you just don't know you're at risk because you haven't gone and opened up any of the walls in the last 10 houses you've built, right? Hmm. Because they just haven't rotted enough to warrant an investigation. <laughs> so when people say, I don't have a problem, my first answer or my first question is, how do you know? How do you know you don't have a problem? Because again, when we were doing building investigations weekly, 
a lot of them were some of them were on houses that haven't even gotten their occupancy permit and yet and they were failing miserably with water management issues and water leaks and etc so sometimes they are quick to identify sometimes they become you know some hidden patterns that it might take three four years um, and by then you know the builders one-year warranty is up um, although in some states it does carry longer but yeah. uh, the the other thing is is if you've noticed the the latest code revisions they're starting to catch up with building science I mean the last yeah, they are. one or two mm -hmm. editions of the code actually are speaking to building science like we we know what the hell we are doing we know what we can do and it's starting to get enforced so those builders that say well i've been doing it this way for 20 years well guess what the code is probably in the next edition isn't going to allow you to do it that way anymore and yeah. so you're going to have to become educated but but even more so um, you know, working around the country, I get to work with a, a number of builders in all kinds of places. I have a, a good friend, Jake, that I do buildings with down in Missouri. And uh, he's he's in Columbia, Missouri. So it's not a thriving metropolis down there, right? But mm -hmm. he gets people that search him out to have him build their house. And usually I get to design it. Um, but people are searching him out because he's differentiated himself from the rest of the building community down there. So it's, it's, it's funny, Adam, because I, I do, I don't know, maybe about 40 plus speaking engagements a year in a non COVID year. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, one of the questions I always ask when I, when I step up in a, in front of a crowd of two or 300 builders, I say, okay, this is a really quick question that we're going to set some baseline for. Is there anybody in this room that wants to build exactly like the guy next to him and just thinks he's your everyday builder, run of the mill, not exceptional, not better than the next guy? Are, are all of you, is that your goal to just be one of the builders and do it the way you've always done it? Well, of course, nobody's hands go up, right? <laughs> right, right. Right. So the minute when I start talking about things and they say, well, you know, that's a really cool detail, Steve, you might be able to sell that to a client in Boston that cares about sustainability or this or that. But, but here in, you know, Jackson, Iowa, nobody really gives a damn about that. And my retort is they don't give a damn about it because you don't educate them enough on what they should give a damn about. And that's mm. where Jake down in Columbia, Missouri is so successful is that his clients come to him because he's able to sit down and have a conversation with them about what's important for him to build when he builds a house. And those same things al should align with what the homeowners want. So it's an opportunity to differentiate yourself. Like every builder, it, it's, it's amazing to me and baffling to me because they sit there and I hear exactly what you just said. Oh, you know, I've been doing it this way for 20 years. Well, so hasn't yeah. the other 50 guys in town. <laughs> yeah, right. An right. opportunity to step out of the box and be that one guy. And the other thing that's baffling to me, you know, in, in that industry is those 50 guys are fighting, you know, for those five houses a year. <clears throat> and those five houses a year are nothing more than the headache clients that want, you know, every penny pinched and bottom line dollars and so you're putting yourself as a builder, like let's, let's compete with the worst builders in town for the worst clients in town. 
to build yeah. a project that puts me at the highest risk. That's right? that's well put, Steve. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, because that's what they're doing. That's what they're right. doing, and they're putting themselves in that position, and then they get all pissy. Oh, I didn't make any money. I didn't do that. It's because you put yourself in that position. Why not be the builder? And and I'll use Jake as the example again, where if you're building a million dollar house or an 800 or even a $500,000 house in Columbia, Missouri, you search out Jake and say, Jake, I, it, when we get clients, they're not, we're not competing with other builders. They come to Jake and say, I want you to build my house. Yeah. And that's the kind of builder model that I think every builder wants, right? You want to be the right. go-to guy in town. You don't want to be the guy that's standing in the crowd waiting for your number to get called so you can argue with a client for the next six months and realize you didn't make any money and be all pissy about it. So yeah, right. It's, it's um, like, yeah, it's whatever model you choose, but you know, you, you make the decisions as the builder as to how you want to operate. Yeah. And the Jake you're mentioning is with you on co-hosts with you on the Unbuild It podcast, right? Jake's one of the co-hosts with me on the Unbuild It yeah. podcast. He's one of the contributors on the Build Show Network. I mean, him and I are kind of crazy busy. We're all over the map, but it, you know, for, for me, and I think, you know, some of it um, has, uh, what you call it, sprinkled onto Jake is that, you know, I, I come from like I said, working at Building Science Corporation. And Joe Stiebick was probably the one of the best information givers in the country. Like he, he's one of the, he is, you know, one of the very smartest building scientists in North America, hands down, no doubt. But the thing that I always found intriguing about Joe is his willingness to stand there after he just spoke with somebody and give them the explanation on what they should do with their wall or, or just, freely, you know, give knowledge out and give back to the industry because he truly yeah. believed the industry could be better and will be better, but we need to share that information. And so I'd like to think that, you know, I learned that aspect from hanging out with him and in turn, I'm trying to, to, to put it out there. I and love that. And personally, I, I greatly appreciate it. I've searched your stuff on a number of occasions. So yeah, well, and you know what? You know what else is pretty funny about it? I, I, I'm not a huge reader, but I did read this this one, one book in my travels. But because I get a lot of people saying, "Well, why why do you just post your details like other architects? Why do you post your details on Instagram? You're just giving away this free information." Well, the the book I was reading talked about that very fact that we can't push ourselves to the next level unless we release the information that we have, right? If I hold my mm -hmm. cards tight to my chest and I don't show all my details and, and put them out there freely, then I still have really cool details that there's no incentive for me to press on and find out what the next level detail is. But if I give that stuff away and now everybody knows how to do a slabless concrete um, foundation system, then I have to press on to the next level of what we're doing there. And I yeah. can't do that until I give that stuff away. And and I say give it away, not to people, but get get it out of my head, out of my mind, off my chest, however you want to phrase it, but get it out there so that everybody can use it. But then that forces me to find the next best thing. Yeah, that's that's awesome, Steve. Um, so let's say, um, let's get into specifics a little bit. Let's say 
your builder listening to this podcast in the first five, 10 minutes, you're like, okay, Steve, you've convinced me. I do want to build better, but you know, I'm code minimum, two by four walls, Tyvek, like I mentioned, you know, like what, it, how do I dip my toe in that? What is, what is the next step? What is, what do I start to look at when I'm building my buildings? What should I do? Yeah. So first of all, the number one killer of buildings and the number one litigation, um, what you call it, concept or reason for litigation in home building is water. Yeah. Yep. Right. It is hands down, no contest. So the first thing you need to do as a builder, and this is whether you're building code built houses or passive houses, you have to get water right. And, you know, I'm one of my famed comments is, you know, if it don't last, it don't matter meaning that I can build a super energy efficient passive house, but if I don't get the water management details right and it rots away in three years, then what have I accomplished with my R60 walls, right? Nothing. I've filled yep. up the dumpster quicker. Um, so, you know, that builder, water management is always the, the key. You got to get that right. And the beauty of that is, is that's really not tied to the energy efficiency. So, you know, you as a builder, you can go to the homeowner and say, well, this is how we should flash these windows. And if the homeowner says, well, you know, Bobby down the street doesn't says you don't have to do all that stuff. Well, yeah, but Bobby's down the streets, windows leak, right? Eventually. Yeah. So mine don't. So there's, there's some argument to be had. That's a pretty easy argument there. Air leakage is certainly the next one to worry about because it's a, it's a huge energy penalty, but it's something that can be solved for mostly with, you know, a can of foam or arrow barrier. If you want to go through that expense, right. You can build a modest yeah. house and have arrow barrier come in for 2,500 bucks and fill the nooks and crannies and, and get you in a good place. What's funny is when we talk about control layers at our lectures, insulation is number four. So it's, again, here's a guy that is designing some of the most energy efficient houses in the country and insulations at the bottom of my list. Right. Yeah. And it's because insulation is a financial equation at that point. I, once I solve for durability, health and comfort, it's how much insulation can I afford to put in this house? Right. Yeah. Do I do R60 or R80 in the attic. It's the difference of 2,500 bucks of cellulose, right? It's. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's yeah. Go ahead. No, and, and then it affects the energy bill, obviously, by putting more in, it, it gives you a better energy bill. But uh, but yeah, that's as, as a builder, those are the things that I would recommend. And find a good architect and work as a, a team. I'm, I'm a huge fan of design build. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. You know, a lot of my projects, especially regionally up here, I have maybe a half dozen builders that I work with regularly. And it's because our thoughts align and, you know, we, it, I don't have to argue with them about putting our sheathing on the wall. They know it's a good deal. They know why we should be doing it and it gets priced accordingly and they do it. Yeah. And it's all for it, you know. So um, Our sheathing, are you talking like zip system, the R panel? Yeah, the zip R sheathing. Or, yeah. And I mean, when it, when it comes to building products, you can do a whole lot of things, but there's, you're never going to lose an argument by saying insulating sheathing on the outside of the building is always the best place to put it and put the money into the windows. Cause you know, one of the things that you learn real quick up here in new England um, 
remodeling older houses is we can move walls, we can do a whole lot of things, but sooner or later you come down to the question, are we going to replace all the existing windows? Mm -hmm. and, and usually that's, you know, a $30,000 ticket or more yep, to yeah. do that. And it's because, you know, somebody made a series of bad decisions that somebody eventually has to pay for. <laughs> yeah. Um, another specific area I get, um, I hear come up a lot is ventilation. Um, so I'm big believer in it when I, you know, built my, my home, um, you know, installed ERV, everything. Um, but most of the builders around me are doing just the, the passive fan. Um, why is ventilation important? Why should we care? So why is ventilation important? Well, if you're going back to my last comment there, air tightness was number two right? Mm -hmm. After yeah. handling water management, air tightness is number two. I could never build a house tight enough. If I could hermetically seal a house, I would. And we mm -hmm. came pretty darn close a couple of times. Um, we have some pretty outstanding air tightness numbers, but for the people that say, well, you don't want to build too tight. Yeah. It's all about <laughs> gaining control, right? If I gain control, then I get to do what I want instead of the house doing what it wants. For those of you out there that believe, oh, well, a house should breathe. My question is, where should it breathe and how much should it breathe? And how do you control the location and the quantity? Because if you can't do that, then you're setting yourself up for failure. For example, what if you said houses should breathe and the house chose to leak between the garage and the house? And people, you know, the wife goes out there and warms up her car before she takes out for work in the morning. And now I get all that good, you know, carbon monoxide just coming right back into the house. Yep. Or if you're down in, uh, say, Houston and your walls are leaky, well, you're putting all this nice humidity inside that wall assembly, right? Because you chose to have your house breathe. And I agree, houses should breathe but we should have that control. And the way we get that control is through mechanical ventilation. You know, one of, one, the, the smart ass answer that I throw out there is if you believe houses should breathe, then start poking holes in your skin. Because <laughs> when you think of your body as a system, we have a dedicated ventilation system. It has de dedicated ports and those ports go to um, filtration systems, our lungs. Right? Yeah. And that's exactly what a mechanical ventilation does to a house. So if you use that as the example, you want to have dedicated inputs. You want to have a dedicated exhaust to get rid of the bad stuff in the house. And you want to fil filter that air before it comes in the house. Now, one of the things that I find really interesting, Adam, is in the couple dozen plus super energy efficient houses I've done, I've probably had 10 clients come back to me. And out of those 10, I would say seven or eight of them, it was voluntary information of me just asking, do you notice anything different? You know, now that you've been in the house, almost my clients I stay in touch with because I, mm -hmm. I'm a firm believer of closing the loop and getting feedback. So after a year or so, asking them, Hey, what, you know, is there something in the, in the house that's different? Do you feel better? Oh yeah. It's more, you know, and, and people can certainly throw in the, the common, Oh yeah, it's really comfortable. Oh yeah. Our energy bills are down, but those are kind of things you expect. One of the things I never expected that seems to be very common is we don't sleep 
anywhere nearly as good as we sleep when we're at home. Wow. And, and the quality of their sleep. I had one client go as far as saying, like, she never dreamed before. And she has, the, the, I did a guest house or a, a vacation house for them up here in New England. They live in Virginia. And she hates going back to their main house in Virginia. She says, <laughs> and I, when I come up here to the mountains, she goes, I sleep better. I dream when I'm sleeping. And I just, that stuff doesn't happen. I just feel better and sleep longer and harder and it's more restorative sleep and because it's the quality of the air inside the building that is it's at the right temperature it's at the right humidity and it's ventilated you're getting that small percentage of outside air that's mixing in with it and it's providing just a really good environment to get that restorative sleep that we all need yeah. Wow. I, yeah, I wasn't expecting that. <laughs> That's really no, and I, and it's in, like I said, probably eight out of 10 um, people have mentioned that and seven of them were voluntary. And it's funny. I just did Jake's house and he called me up, I don't know, a couple of weeks ago and his wife commented to him. She goes, you know, I really like the new house, but the thing that's pretty amazing is I feel like I'm sleeping better here. Man. And just kind of out of the blue. And they were only in the house like a couple weeks and she had noticed the difference. So. Wow. Wow. Um, what are, what are some things you are certain don't work in the way we build homes now? Um, well, I mean, selling energy efficiency, I think is a kind of a waste of time. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and not only that, but like I said, if, if we can get that as a byproduct, I'd rather concentrate on getting, um, homes to, to last a very long time. Right. Cause it's one of those things. And, and, and I'll give Joe credit to this is that if we can make a, a 50 year building last a hundred years, then we've have the embodied energy and resource energy that's in that building. Right. Because it's lasted. Mm -hmm. yeah. So, you know, if you're, if you're going to take the time to do something, then do it right. So it lasts a very long time. Um, the, the other thing is, and th this is kind of, uh, somewhat, um, gray area for me. I don't know how to explain it, but cause I, I have done some pretty exotic details and, you know, hanging 14 inch trusses off the side of a building and packing it with insulation, doing stuff, but to, to solve different problems. But yeah, the bottom line is I'm a huge believer is we should be able to build really good houses with stuff that we can get from our local lumber yard, right? For the mm -hmm. moment, we, we yeah. don't, we don't need to travel all over the world. And as architects, man, I, I see details all the time. Builders, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm on Instagram and I'll just plug it. Steve basic architect on Instagram, but I, I get messaged by builders all the time, sending me details saying, Steve, what do you think about this? And it's, it's, you know, some of these architects, they just get really carried away in how exotic can I make that detail? Mm. And it doesn't have to be that difficult, right? It's, yeah. it's one of those things where we can look at the building industry and say, all right, we pulled, I don't know, 1.4 million building permits last year. We can sit here and concentrate on the 100 passive houses with very exotic details, or we can take 
900,000 of those building permits and enhance the durability and efficiency of those structures by 20% with all the low-hanging fruit, with almost no incremental cost, just a little yeah. bit of education. And think of how far better off we are. Yeah. What What are some of those... The what is some of that low hanging fruit? I mean, air tightness, paying attention to air tightness, mm -hmm. right? Maybe bumping up the windows, shopping around a little bit, um, and, and looking at what is available out there for windows. And there's a lot of window companies out there that do offer. I, I have a lot of clients that will sit down and start having a conversation talking about windows and I'll mention triple glazed windows. And they say, what is that? And hmm. then, you know, when we start, explaining it to them and talking about it you know some of the some of my clients sit there and say well why wouldn't i do that right yeah the ones that really you know take an understanding to it so that that's certainly you know one of the areas simple insulation levels right of in the attic there even if you're going to put bat or something in there put a couple courses of bats in the attic yeah and, and that's uh, nothing you know, yeah. It's, it's nothing, but to, to say, well, I build to code. Well, all you're suggesting is that you build the least acceptable house you can possibly build in America. That's, <laughs> yeah. that's exactly what that is. That statement is synonymous with, so, yeah. you know, but, but yeah, the air leakage insulate the basements and talk about homeowners instead of sitting there saying, Oh, we want this 5,000 square foot house. You know, my first question is when I, when I have, cause I do, I have clients that come to me and say, Oh, we're, you know, we're thinking about building around 4,000 feet and this and that. And, and I say, well, where's that number come from? Mm -hmm. Right. Where does 4,000 yeah, come from? Yeah. And they say, well, you know, my sister has a house that's like 3,500 feet. And we just thought maybe another bedroom and just a little bit bigger family room and bigger, you know, mud room and this and that. And so we, that would put us up around 4,000 feet. And, you know, so I, we get into the conversation. I actually, when I, a client hires me, the first task is not mine, it's theirs. I send them a, a PDF that outlines a whole series of homework that I require all my clients to complete mm -hmm. before I start the design process. And it's, it's asking all these hard questions because people come at me with these very flimsy unsubstantiated dreams yeah that they don't know where they came from right why do you want right. four thousand feet well I, I don't know i just we thought that would be a good place to start okay well why not eight thousand or why not three thousand mm -hmm. i mean if, if it's that arbitrary do you find a lot of clients end up building smaller than what they originally came in at no there's always upward pressure there's it's hard yeah. america's marketing is a number one Right. Mm -hmm. I, I always give the example of, you know, because people, I, I get that too, right? Oh, we're very modest. We don't need fancy crown molding. We don't need this. We don't need that. And, and I give them the same example all the time. I said, okay, we're, we're doing just a kitchen remodel for you. You're going to go and you're going to shop for appliances. There's going to be the $600 white stove, the $1,200 kind of okay stainless steel stove. That's a knockoff. And then there's the $3,500, $3,500 um, wolf or, you know, nice right. yep. looking stove. Which one do you buy? Nobody buys the $600 white one. Nobody, right? That goes, <laughs> yeah. in, that goes in, in rental properties and rental studios in town, that kind of thing. But nobody's mm -hmm. buying that for their new kitchen. 
The $1,200 stainless steel knockoff looks good. And you sit there and say, yeah, that's the one I probably should buy. But we're just, you know, this is our kitchen of our dreams. We're not going to do it again. We should just, you know, why don't we just upgrade and go for it and we'll get that, you know, $4,000 wolf. And that's the one they buy. Now, mm. you take that decision and you cross-pollinate it across 15 or 20 other decisions, and now you've just upped the budget 25 grand. Yeah. Right? To yep. do that, that kitchen. Because, oh, well, it's just this one time. It is our dream kitchen, or it is our dream house, and it is this and that. And, you know, and it's funny because people, I used to start the conversation also with, do you have a budget in mind? Mm -hmm. But people would lie. Right. They would tell me, well, yeah. you know, we have 600 or 800,000, but they really have a million. So they would lie. So now I've rephrased my, my question and a lot of builders like it and use it. But I, I ask people, do you have a number that scares you? <laughs> right. Yeah. Because I like that. That, then that really gets us to where, where is their limit? Right. If the first number is, if the first number is in eight, does that scare you for this project? And some yeah. people say, hell yeah, I want it to be a six. Okay. Well, the difference between eight and six is a very definitive change in scope, right? Mm -hmm. We're not building this and taking out the crown molding and buying some cheaper appliances and dropping 200K. Right, right. There's no magic button. There, there is no. Yeah. There, there, yeah. I almost bought this shirt. I saw it. You know, it's one of those things you buy it when you see it, but I didn't. It's, it basically said I'm an architect, not an effing magician. Right. Because every, everybody always yeah. wants, well, can't we do this, you know, and just, you know, make this a little smaller and save 150,000. No, we we've created a monster here. And uh, I, I have one builder that I work with. I've been working with him for 26 years and we do tons of projects together and probably 40 to 50% of our work goes down the same model. He gets drawings from a homeowner they ask him to bid it. He, he works up a number. He goes back to him and says, okay, you know, this addition is going to be 900 K. And they say, oh my God, that's not what we wanted. That That's way too much. And he's like, well, what were you thinking? They're like, oh, we we're thinking more like seven, maybe 750. And it's like, well, what, what can we do? And he's like, there's no way you're changing this monster to that. And so the homeowner says, what do we do? And he says, well, I'd have this other architect that I work with regularly. We'll, we can design, and this is where the design build comes into play very well and very nicely. We can design to your 700 or 750K budget. And we'll tell you when things aren't fitting in the budget, like this, you know, 30-foot uh, stone fireplace chimney out of real stone that's, you know, 75K. Yeah. Right. You're not, you're not going to get that in a $750,000 budget and right. we won't even design it in. So we don't have to break your heart. Um, and, but the people, Oh, well, I already invested all this time and this money into that architect. It's like, okay, did that architect ever ask you what your budget was? No, he just kept drawing. Did he ever make any comments about budget or how things were late to cost. And they're like, no, he just kept drawing. We said, we'd like that. He came up with ideas and he just kept drawing in fireplaces and bookcases and built-ins and this and that. And it's like, well, yeah, that's how you get to 950 real quick. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's okay if that's the budget, but if it's not the budget, 
you can't just let this person run away with it. You have to kind of corral that. Yeah. And uh, so they, they say, well, what do we do? And he said, well, you, unfortunately, that's a hard lesson to learn, but throw those Ooh. drawings away and let's start over. Yeah, I I deal with a lot of that too. Um, I Personally, I don't want to take anybody's money and design them something they can't afford to build. Like, I just don't feel right about that. Um, and it, it sounds like you're in a similar boat. Like, what practical steps do you take to help clients hit the budget? Are you t are you communicating with the builder early? I assume. Well, the, yeah, the builder, hard. this builder here is at every design meeting because. Yeah, okay. Right. Be, well, be, when you think about it, when the beauty of design build is the builder's goal is to build it. So yeah, yeah. If, if he's not working with you to keep it within budget, then it never becomes a real project and he never gets to build it. Yeah. And that, and then he's just wasted six months of design time. So having him alongside crunching numbers and offering, you know, alternatives that, okay, maybe instead of that $75,000 stone fireplace, we put in this, I mean, we can put a wood burning insert in and we can wrap it in a, a thin applied stone um, veneer and it only goes up six feet to a nice mantle. And then that's what you get. But yeah, this went from 75,000 to 7,500. <laughs> right. Right. But, so you're deferring most of the, the pricing discussion to the builder that's present in the room. Yeah. That, and I mean, I always start with a, when people say, how much does it cost to build a house? And the first thing I always do is I joke with them and say, well, I don't know. And they said, what do you mean you don't know? You've been doing this 30 years. And I said, okay, I can build a house for probably uh, and design it and have it built for $125 a foot. We can do that. The question is, do you want to live in that house? Yeah. Right. Chances are you probably don't want to live in that house. So the real question is how much does it cost to build a house you want to live in? Mm -hmm. And up here in New England, that probably starts at 250 and goes over 300 real easy. Yeah. I had one builder answered that question with uh, how, what's the price per square foot of your car? Um, yeah. Yep. Yeah. I think it's a great way to put it because, yeah, there's so much you can put into a house that changes that number. Um, awesome. Th Steve, thank you so much for being here. Any other final thoughts for the industry? Anything um, to help builders and buyers on their journey? No, but I, I think I'll leave you with two things that I, I tell builders quite often and, um, and, and even homeowners, um, you know, when, when we build a house, there's literally thousands of questions that have to get answered, right? The simple thing is scrutinize those wisely, mm -hmm. right? Just pay attention to some of them. You don't, and as a builder, you don't have to go from Joe builder to passive house builder in two projects right? You can, it can take you three or four years to do that, but hit this one project with, you know what, this one project, we are going to do our best job at water management. We're going to do our best job at air leakage It concentrate on that. And next thing you know, in five years, you're going to be the best builder in town. And yeah. all of those things are going to be habit. They're not going to be choices anymore. It's just, that's how we do it. Right. Um, yeah. And, uh, Damn, I lost my, my train of thought on what the second thing I was going to tell you was. Um, well, I was going to say on your first thought, like that works at any level of builder. If you're a production builder and you're building 200 units a year and you know what? People start finding out that your homes don't leak. Like, 
yeah. that the sales equation is is done. You you don't have to do anything else, you know. So or building, you know, when I worked for uh, did all the work for a production home builder in the southwest. And after we had about a hundred or two hundred homes on the ground, and in our heyday years ago, we were probably doing seven, eight hundred a year. But it only took a couple hundred. And then people in the community started talking like, man, this house is really comfortable. Oh, my God, this this house, you won't believe this house. And then they got a reputation for building that kind of Ferrari of a house from a health comfort standpoint. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I do remember the the second thing, and I, this this can kind of be my final word. You know, as an architect and as a builder, if you're building house two the same way you built house one, you're failing yourself, you're failing your client, and you're failing the industry because you should have learned something when you built house one that caused change in house two. Yeah, that's really, really well said, Steve. Thank you. Um, lastly, what are you up to now and where can people find you? So where can you find me? Um, I have a website, stephenbazicarchitect.com. You find me there. I also am a contributor to, um, I'm sure many of your listeners know who Matt Risinger is, but he owns the Build Show Network, um, which is basically buildshownetwork.com. And on there, there's a series of contributors, Matt, Jake, Wade, Brent, and myself that post weekly videos. So basically in my tour of the week of going to look at projects, answer questions, having meetings and stuff. I'll stop and shoot one or two videos and then they get posted on just different. They can be anything. Could be a new stair rail design that we're working in. It could be talking about building elevation and why I think this one is cool and what were my thoughts going into the, you know, in the studio, etc. Um, you can find me on Instagram at Stephen Basic Architect. I post stuff daily. I will get throw out a big plug. My daughter graduated architecture school and now works with me. And she's at Alexandra Bazek um, on uh, Instagram. And uh, she posts a lot of stuff that we're working on together. So between the two of us, you get to see what uh, the office is up to. That's uh, awesome. Real, That's real good. And, and of course, you know, LinkedIn and stuff like that I'm on. And lastly, the Unbuild It podcast. I'm joined by... Uh, my friends, Peter Yost and Jake Bruton, Peter, I worked with at Building Science Corporation. Jake's a builder in Missouri, but it's a podcast where we break down, you know, what some would consider very complex building science concepts. And we break them down to just some simple thoughts and experiences and why I care about this and why I shouldn't care about that. And, and you get to kind of hear, I mean, cumulatively, we're probably in about 85 years of experience between the three of yeah. us. So, yeah, and, that, and Peter, that I don't know if you've ever heard Peter Yo speak, but I, I would, you know, I chat with him almost daily just because I learn something every time I talk to him. Yeah, everyone should check that out. It's, it's really well done, Steve. So awesome. Well, thank you again for being here. And um, yeah, I hope you have a great day. Not a problem. Thank you, Adam. I greatly appreciate the opportunity. So have a wonderful holiday season, everybody. And that concludes our show. If you like this and um, want to help me out in any way, shape, or form, uh, a few things you can do, like subscribe, tell your friends, share a post, 
um, follow on any uh, social media channels. If you want to reach out to me, ask questions. I'd love to hear from you. It is at buyer on Instagram or info at buyer.com. I'm also on LinkedIn. My name, Adam Steiner. I also run a home design firm, which is Burnham Design Co., B-I-R-N-A-M Design Co. You can find me on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, all that fun stuff. And have a very safe and happy holidays. Lastly, thanks to Andrew Michael Metter for the music. <laughs>